On this episode of Dudes and Dads podcast, we're talking to our good friend, Bob Morton, who has recently gone through a significant career change and is uh, navigating how to be an awesome dude and an awesome dad in the midst of it. Listening to the Dudes and Dads podcast, a show dedicated to helping men be better dudes and dads by building community through meaningful conversation and storytelling. And now, here are your hosts, Joel DeMott and Andy Lehman. Oh, Joel, it's uh, season two, episode seven, but I feel like I haven't seen you in forever because of this coronavirus thing. We are doing this remotely today. That is correct. We are 100% remote and 100% virus free. So yes. I, I hope. <laughs> double bonus. <laughs> double bonus. Oh, my god. Oh, man. It's so everybody's going to be bearing with us tonight. Right. Yeah. Because we're, we're in separate rooms, separate houses, separate. We're not in the studio. So this is going to be interesting. So yeah, welcome, guys. Interesting. Yes. Uh, well, uh, everybody, uh, first and foremost, we just want to let you know our, uh, we, we're continuing on the podcast. We're, we're trying to keep the same schedule and everything because we just have this sense of uh, you might have a little more time on your hands. And so we want to we want to keep you busy. Uh, and uh, but we we also just want to say um, that we are here for you guys. Uh, we are uh, all of us are in the mix of uh, this pandemic and uh, the multiple ways that it might be affecting each and every one of you. We feel that too. Uh, I know Andy, you are, you're working from home and yes, I am. I'm working from home and our, our guest tonight, Mr. Bob Morton is also working from home. And uh, well, Bob's going to share many of his recent adventures in working from home and managing, uh, (laughs) managing, when the whole family gets sick and all that. That's fun too. Uh, but yeah, so tonight uh, we've got our good friend uh, Bob Morton on the show and uh, I just can't wait to, for all of you to hear his story. And uh, uh, it's, we're going to have, we're going to have a good time for sure. You, oh yes. So Joel, let's, you mentioned Bob Morton. How do you know him? Let's give it, give a little intro on him here. Yeah. See Bob and I, uh, well, let's just say uh, like two ships in the night. Uh, we were, I'm going to lose track of how many years ago it was, but, uh, this has been a few years ago. We were, I, and well, first of all, Bob, welcome. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Happy to be here guys. Really uh, <laughs> excited to share with you guys and uh, just see, kind of see the magic you guys have going on. Yeah. Magic is, uh, <laughs> that's what really, one word really for it. Generous word, really a generous <laughs> word. Uh, and Bob, I, so I was trying to think, were we in, were we in, graduate school at the same time. I don't remember if we, I think we closely intersected our timelines, but then we, uh, we really connected at a, actually at a, at Bethel university. They had a, they had a seminar for youth workers in the area. And I think that's where you and I really sat down at the table and just had one of those moments of our, like, I, we just, we just knew we were going to be friends. That's, yeah, that's I pretty mean, much really two, six foot four, you know, yeah. ginger bearded guys and kind of destined that's that right. you and I were going to be friends. You know, I know, I know we overlapped uh, back yeah. when, back when Bethel university was Bethel college. Yeah. Um, you know, I was working there and, and attending master's classes 
I think we might have overlapped timing, but we may not have overlapped classes. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. I was I was kind of finishing up when when you were getting started or vice versa. Yeah. And so yeah, that it was that that youth workers kind of fellowship that so good. Uh, yeah, some of our friends started that you know, I mean, it ended up just being a bunch of people kind of coming and sharing coffee and sharing <laughs> gripes. But but yeah. I think you and I were able to kind of connect through the gripes and yes. really elevate the conversation. That thing, I'm I'm so glad that you have <laughs> such a such a fond, a clear and a really positive outlook. And remember, we were with uh uh gosh Fred Oduyoye Oduyoye. I can never Fred if Fred's ever listening. I can never pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, but he's a veteran in the youth worker. Uh, I just remember, yeah, uh, sat there with Fred, veteran in the youth worker. Uh, game uh, with youth specialties, but that's how we connected. And we tried to touch base every once in a while. And we've just had you uh, as one of these people that we absolutely have to talk to because we just love your story. So uh, without further ado, Bob, just give us the, uh, give us the, 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 the 10 minute Bob Morton life story bring uh, and you could start as we always like to say you can go back as far as you want to go back uh but bring us up to present day uh give some context for what's going on in life yeah you know i think uh whenever somebody asks you for your story they kind of ask where you're from right and uh i would say probably this year uh, over the past 12 months would be the first time that i would actually call myself a hoosier now this is like a oh, self-admission wow. i know i know <laughs> um but I've lived in Indiana longer than I've lived anywhere else. So uh, my story is I was born uh, in the suburbs of Boston, Massachusetts, and, uh, you know, uh, grew up there, um, you know, son of, of Deb and uh, another Bob. Uh, I'm not a junior, but, uh, but I took after my dad quite a bit. And, uh, you know, my upbringing was, was like a lot of other New England kids, uh, really faith was more of just kind of a series of, of rituals rather than um, anything, any kind of pursuit uh, of a real relationship with Jesus. And so uh, I was a Christer kid, right? So the four weeks leading up to Christmas and maybe a week or two before Easter was when I uh, spent my time in church. And uh, that all drastically changed when my entire life was uprooted from Boston. I think I was 12 years old. And we moved from uh, outside of Boston, Mass, down to north of Dallas, Texas. And so uh, there are a couple big things that happened there. Uh, I saw both of your looks. That was a pretty big move. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. absolutely. <laughs> One is you go, you go from like a really like kind of old religion background of New England to like the buckle of the Bible belt. And so, you know, making a bunch of friends meant going to youth group. And so that was a really big change for me. The second thing was... I grew up as a hockey player. Uh, and so, I mean, if you can imagine, like I'm, I'm six, four, 300 and something pounds now. I mean, I imagine that two and a half inches taller on some blades <laughs> skating down the ice. Terrifying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, they, but they don't have ice everywhere in Texas. So, <laughs> so uh, I couldn't play hockey near as much. And uh, they had this other full contact sport. And so I picked up football uh, in McKinney, Texas. I ended up being pretty okay at it. Uh, had an opportunity to play a lot of different places. But my dream uh, has always been to uh, to go to Notre Dame, even before I played football. And so uh, I'm a first-generation Fighting Irish uh, alum, a tender uh, football player, monogram winner. And so in 2002, I came to Indiana 
And uh, I mean, long story short is I haven't left since, but uh, the longer story is, um, you know, four year letter winner and starter on the fighting Irish offensive line. Um, part of my story involves when my dad passed away before my fifth year and it kind of just changed my direction. Uh, I'm one of the few that gets to say, I said goodbye to the game before it said goodbye to me. And so I decided not to pursue what I think would have been an opportunity to play at the next level. Uh, instead, I turned down kind of the, the millions that might've been in the NFL for like the, the hundreds that are available for a part-time <laughs> middle a, school pastor. It's a close second place, a <laughs> close second place. It's, it's right there, you know? <laughs> And then uh, 12 years, for 12 years after I graduated, there was some semblance of full-time vocational ministry, uh, sometime in churches, sometime at uh, Bethel College, now Bethel University, while getting my master's degree. Uh, spent some time in Fort Wayne, which I love talking about, south side of Fort Wayne, 32 first languages spoken regularly, huge um, you know, uh, refugee populations there really kind of shaped my heart for, for people on the margins. And then um, came back in 2015 uh, to the church that I uh, attended while I was in college uh, to serve there in family ministry. And then uh, two years ago in 2018, kind of had a radical pivot um, with my family. My wife and I just decided that, uh, and we'll talk about this, I think, a, a little bit later, that um, you know, life-serving Jesus in the church didn't necessarily mean I had to work full-time uh, in the, the local church. And so uh, I took an opportunity to return to Notre Dame where I've served as the director of regional develop, uh, development for the New England region uh, for the past couple of years. So I uh, love working there and I get to share Jesus with colleagues. I get to um, really just share uh, my life and my family and my faith with uh, alumni and parents and friends of the university out in New England and uh, I've had a really kind of a great growing time in the process. So um so that's kind of my story. Uh, other characters in the story. In 2010, um, I, I married my wife, Heather, who's also a, a Bethel College slash university uh, alumna. And we have three awesome kids and a fourth on the way. So awesome. we are, yeah. So Joel, you tell me that the fourth one is not as tough a transition as the third. I think when we had the third, that was a, that was a big adjustment. The fourth was felt a little bit like that was we kind of we had dealt with the chaos we had come to terms with chaos and so then into the fourth one you're like ah this is this is a, a piece of cake um, it was for us and Bob remind me of the breakdown boys and girls uh, yeah so we went boy girl boy and then we're expecting another boy in June excellent excellent well. Yeah, the uh, three boy, one girl thing is uh, now our girl's the youngest, so she's gonna be. I don't. She's gonna be a. <laughs> oh, she's gonna be something. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Her her favorite her favorite phrase is "Stop it, boys." That's just like <laughs> that's the go to. You know? uh, so so Bob, I'm I'm gonna. Well, Andy's got the first question here to kind of uh, because. Boy, oh boy, it feels like as I'm looking at this, and I, even as I was looking at your, you know, you're looking at your bio uh, pre-show, it's a lot of stuff crammed into a relatively, I mean, life-wise, a relatively short amount of time. I mean, a lot of big, significant uh, twists and turns, but uh, that's what's so interesting. I think 
uh, what's interesting about your story is just the multiple experiences that you've gotten to have so far. And uh, you're still, you know, you are still a spry young uh, gentleman, <laughs> uh, much like myself and, and Andy. Uh, and uh, dare I say, um, I, there's a, uh, there's a lot more life to be lived, but yet you've, you've packed a lot of things in a short amount of time. So uh, I'll let my, uh, yes. my interviewer, Andy, take away with the first question. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, you made a, a pretty pivotal life change there. You were working in the ministry full-time in the ministry and you switched to completely switch that around and working at the university. What does that do for your pastoral? Like, Anytime someone has a loss, there's a, a grief, there's a grieving process. Tell me about that grieving process and what it looked like for you. Yeah, you know, we um, we had just kind of reached a point, you know, this was the, the second full-time um, church ministry position we'd had, you know, after I'd gotten uh, my master's degree. And, um, you know, I think like any other um, vocation, which I, I may not have understood this early on, but, but I think you have different, you know, dynamics in the workplace. Uh, that are at place that um, can make a, a day at work a little bit difficult from time to time, whether that's, you know, with people or just situations where you, you find out things about yourself uh, that maybe you didn't know otherwise. And um, what, what we had realized is we had come to a place as a family where everything was in one place. So uh, my work life and my family's church life and our social life, uh, for for my wife and I, for my kids, for our family, um, my my children's school experience, uh, everything was in one location. And so when when we had come to a place of you know whether it be some disagreements or some some areas where we uh, found ourselves restless and unhappy, that shook up every single layer of our life to a point where we could no longer be healthy in the environment um, where we were. Uh, living and working and serving and attending school. And so uh, it was a pretty painstaking process for us to realize, like, um, I mean, about a year before we had kind of moved on um, uh, job wise, my wife had said, I don't think that I can, I can keep going on with you being pastor Bob at, at this place. And, uh, and I just, I, I asked her, I, I didn't, I don't think I begged. I just think I said, I don't think we're supposed to move on. Will you, you know, see this through with me. And, uh, and, and we were kind of, we felt like we were seeing progress and we were growing through it. And, and then unfortunately, which is a series of events, um, it realized that I had asked her for that time and, and nothing was really changing. And so um, it was a conversation with a friend over a burger and a beer where he said, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity at Notre Dame that you'd be really, really good at. Could I, you know, pass along your resume? And, and so it was a little bit by chance. Um, it wasn't something that, like I sought out, like this is the job that I want to do. Um, but it's been amazing, you know, for me um, to, to see how, um, how God exists in, in so many different places and in different, you know, jobs. You know, I was a week in at my first one-on-one -on -one meeting with my boss at the time. And, um, her father-in-law had just passed away. And so she came in for a 45 minute meeting to talk about what I needed to do over the next week and a half for onboarding. And I just said, Hey, before we get started, are you, are you okay? How are you doing? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, and she just broke down. Um, and, and just said, you know, it, I think I'm doing well. And then I realized that 
Nobody's really asked me how I'm doing. And so there we are 45 minutes later. We haven't talked about a lick of my work. <laughs> Granted, there's not a lot to talk about. But, but I just realized that there's a place for ministry in a location where I would not have been otherwise. And so um, there are some great moments that have really fueled my heart. I guess your original question is like, how do you deal with the loss and the grief of losing your pastor? I've had to realize um, I, I based a lot of how I was feeling on, on popularity and shareability of things that I said, you know, if I preached a message, how many people liked or shared that message? If I, uh, if I gave a really great last point of a sermon, how many people like tweeted out that last point? Like where would it live on the interwebs? Um, and so I, I grieved the loss of voice that I had kind of in this ethereal social media that, that we live in. Um, but I just kind of realized that that, that isn't, that isn't as important as I thought it was. Um, and then the, the only other place that I really find myself grieving um, is those real moments of, of worship. I, I, Joel, you and I were talking a little while ago. Um, I started out uh, in my last you know church environment having to fill in with, with children's ministry. I was overseeing children's ministry, but I had to fill in like leading worship. And I remember after the first couple of weeks, just telling my wife, like, this is not like the Lord bless people who are able to lead kids in worship. Cause I, I just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm faking it. I'm trying to drum up this energy that's not there. And um, by the time it was all said and done, you know, two times out of the month, I was leading worship that wasn't jumping around, that wasn't clapping, that wasn't shouting. It was really just crying out to God with a bunch of kindergarten through fifth graders. And and I realized that over the, the last like year, that was the the realest worship experience I'd been having. Mm-hmm. And and I missed that. Like I, I missed the very real faith that children have uh, because we don't always see that even though we're called to that. And so, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of things that I've seen over the past, you know, two years that make me feel like maybe I'm not missing out on everything, but at the same time, you know, you just, you don't get the same type of relationships you get with families. And, and I miss those individuals. Sure. Yeah. And I, I do wonder, Bob, if you feel like, like my experience as a pastor and one of the things I'm just so grateful for is that I'm invited into things, into life and into hard places more readily. Like, yeah, with other people a little more readily than, than other other positions that I've held or, or whatever, because with that title and that responsibility comes a sense of like, Oh, you're the, you're the person that's okay to ask for, for help or that kind of thing. Do you have the, I mean, do you have the sense that I guess part of without me, uh, without me projecting my own life on you too much, like, is there, is there a sense of, have you felt like the same kind of doors have been open to those relational connections or have those, some doors closed and others open, like as far as people connecting with you or if maybe you've changed your methodology a little bit or, or something like that? You know, I, I think it's been interesting. Um, I think that uh, what I didn't realize is, is having the title of former pastor uh, actually opens a lot of conversations as <laughs> well sure. as the title pastor. I mean, you know, I, I'm, 
I, I'm fortunate. I, I'm blessed. You know, I didn't, I didn't have the title stripped from me for, for any reasons. Right. right. Like it was, uh, it, it was kind of, a, I felt compelled that it was the right time to make that move. Um, and I don't have people that just don't know me, you know, opening their, their, their vulnerable hearts to me in the same way that they might have, you know, if I was working in the local church environment. However, there are a lot of relationships that my wife and I have formed in a lot of conversations that uh, I have been blessed with the opportunity to have um, simply because, you know, with a little bit of pain and with a little bit of rejection, you know, we moved away from, you know, vocational ministry and um, being able to operate in the margins with less of a stigma of the institutional church and, and really bringing Jesus um, into those conversations has been unreal uh, for me. And, and I think that it's, it's done two things. It brought me to a place of conversation where um, I'm probably a little uncomfortable with how the conversation started. Sure. Uh, six, six years ago, Bob would, would have been like, wait a minute. I don't know if you need to be in that environment for that conversation. Um, but at the same time, I could, I could talk to six years ago, Bob and say, but, but look at the image of Jesus. We were able to communicate that you wouldn't have been able to sitting behind your desk, you know, in a church environment too. And so um, I've found a tremendous sense of vulnerability, maybe a little more with people who have been hurt or rejected by the church. Now that I'm no longer, you mm-hmm. know, you know, kind of wearing that collar for, for lack of a better term. Um, but uh, I, again, I'm just, astounded by God at how he continues to open those doors of conversation. Well, and I'm sure too, that it's different when that's your job to do something, uh, you know, to, to have the relationship with the people versus when it's not your job, like the opportunities are going to be different because it's going to be more real and more one-on-one where it's not your job. It's just opportunities for you to speak with people and instead of kind of placing that, well, this is my job on that. Yeah. Well, and, and two, it's been wonderful within the rhythms uh, of my marriage and family, right? Because, you know, if, if a conversation needed to happen outside the boundaries of nine to five or six to eight on Wednesdays, you know, that was, that was additional time being taken mm-hmm. away from, from my time at home for something that related to work. Whereas now if a coworker says, Hey, can, can you meet me after work and we can just talk about what's going on? Um, I mean, that doesn't feel like work when I, when I call Heather and say, Hey, would it be okay if I just sat in the car and, and talk to my buddy at work about kind of what's going on at home? Um, because it, it feels like real and tangible and it feels like life, not like work. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. 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 So, uh, the other interesting dynamic here and, and uh, Andy and I are always on the, the, we're always on the dad theme of working through our fear that at any moment we are screwing our kids up royally. Uh, <laughs> but you are raising kids as a former, as a former pastor, yep, yep. but your kids have had the PK, the pastor's kid experience. Right. Right. Um, and you, you know, there, man, there's just so many pitfalls it, for people that are listening that don't know in certain circles, there is a stigma of being a pastor's kid. 
And it usually means that either you're going to be on, this is the, again, this is the stereotype. You're going to be on either, either end of the spectrum. You're going to be the Bible thumper, knows all the answers. You're always raising the hand. Ooh, ooh. That, that would be, uh, yes, that would be uh, second uh, Corinthians three ten. Uh, you know, that kind of kid or the other side uh, that mom and dad are just worried that their kid is going to end up living under a bridge somewhere and like somewhere not usually too far between. So it's, you know, these kind of these stereotypes of a pastor's kid, one extreme or the other kind of way off to one side, you know, so heavenly minded, no earthly good, or uh, just heavy rebellion, heavy pushing back against kind of the, the form and the structure that, and the expectation that come with being a pastor's kid. So, um, what has been your approach? What have you kept in front of you? You and your wife kept in front of you, um, uh, knowing, knowing that those are, I guess, extreme possibilities, but nevertheless, it's, it is something to navigate. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you, you kind of talked about the two ends of the spectrum, right? The fear is, um, the, well, the fear is not, you know, the fear is kind of one of the two sides, right? The, the two options, like you mentioned are like, they know the scripture, they live the scripture, like they, they are devout. Uh, religiously and in their relationship with Jesus. Um, the other end of the spectrum that I think, you know, brings about that fear um, is they know the scripture, but they choose to rebel against it. And the fear is that since they have such a knowledge of scripture and it has not impacted their life, that what then will it take for them to have that scripture truly written on their heart to see that life change? And, um, you know, I think, you know, we, we tried to toe a line to do the balancing act, if you will, on what to experience um, with and in front of our kids. Um, there were some negatives in, in, in leaving our previous church, um, and, and we wanted to make sure that I mean, even to this day, my son wants to go back to his school, and, um, you know, it's not okay to talk to an almost eight-year-old about you know, some of the, the issues of trust and broken trust that are there with individuals that he knows. Right. Hmm. Um, and so we've really tried, but at the same time, we've also wanted to share with, with our kids when we went from going to church, you know, for two services, every single Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night to, I mean, we might, we might go at the beginning five, six weeks without stepping foot in the worship gathering um, because there was just a lot of healing um, that needed to take place. And so we wanted to be open and honest and say that mommy and daddy have been hurt and, and, you know, we're processing, let's have a bit of time where we're kind of gathering together, you know, as our party of five before the Lord and, and kind of go forward from there. Uh, so what we've really tried to do is kind of remove uh, some of the, some of the religiosity um, of how we're, we're, teaching and training our kids. Um, you know, not that I've had amazing experiences with, with, uh, teaching scripture from, you know, quizzing programs. I've had amazing experience with, you know, various levels of, of, you know, kind of tradition and, and different things being taught. Um, but with a lot of the questions that we were having, um, weren't answered, uh, by our church experience. A lot of the questions that we were having were answered and sometimes, not comfortably so by the actions of Jesus. And so we really looked into like, how can we, how can we like share Jesus like 
beyond everything else. And so um, our time in scripture, you know, might look like, and this is a little bit from, um, you know, Tim Mackey is, is a guy that, that works on the Bible project. And I don't think Tim Mackey and I necessarily are in line with everything, but one of the things that I've really appreciated about him is, you know, in his searching um, for where he lands on a lot of things, you know, he's trying to raise his kids too. So his thing is I teach Jesus and stories. And I think that's really beautiful because that's a lot of what Jesus did too. Um, but, but we, we talk about why Jesus lived the way he did, um, why he spoke the way he spoke, why he made choices the way he did. Why did he die the way he did? What's the power in his resurrection? We look at the gospel story of his life, death and resurrection. And I want my kids to know that. And then when it comes to these stories and epics of the old Testament, you know, like Joel, you know, this Andy, you might realize it cause I haven't stopped talking for five <laughs> minutes, but I can be a storyteller. Right. And so rather than, rather than tell my son, the three reasons that Joseph's Technicolor rainbow, you know, coat had to be certain colors. I just want to tell him this story beginning to end of Joseph and we break at key points, right? So Joseph lived this life and his brothers left him in the pit. Wait until tomorrow night <laughs> and tomorrow night we'll pick it up and we'll, you know, age appropriately discuss <laughs> what happened between him and Potiphar's wife. And then we, we just, we kind of tell, I want my kids to know the story so that when they're 13, 16, 18, 21, when, when they have their Bible that's been thumbed through a lot for the story, you know, if, if the Holy Spirit reveals some ins and outs over that, then, then they can start to make their educated decisions. So we've really focused on, you know, Jesus really over the tradition and, and the ins and outs of individual pass, passages for us. You know, I, I didn't understand it when I was growing up. My parents told me this in high school and it stuck with me. Um, we, we wanted that they always say we wanted you to know the love of God. Like, and we, and we really felt like, and that's what I hear you saying. If they know the love of Christ, if they know Jesus and his love, the, the behavioral stuff will, will follow it, it. Because what I also hear you without, I'm, I'm, if I'm wrong on this, tell me, but what I, I don't hear you talking about a lot of behavior management with your, with your kids. I hear you talking about, about discipleship, putting Jesus in front of them, lifting Jesus up in front of them and saying, this is our example. Uh, and it's a really, it's a powerful example. It's a difficult example, but that seems to win out in the long run. If you, because this is a marathon, by the way, uh, we, we are, we are actually, we're raising kids for a short amount of time. They will be adults for a good portion mm-hmm. of the time. And hopefully the guys, hopefully there are adults that we want to hang out with someday. Like that's the <laughs> other, right. right? Like I will spend more time with my kids as adults than I will with them as children. And I think that's, um, that's not that I'm trying to like raise them into early adulthood. It's just a matter of, uh, Hey, if everything is, if, if things are a little rocky right now in our, in our approach to raising, and it seems like some hard work and it's like, it doesn't feel like they're catching everything right away. Uh, that's cool. Don't, don't worry about it because adulthood is the, is the thing. Um, when they really start making 
decisions on their own and they start going back to the well of wisdom and knowledge that they gained. Um, yeah. What's, what's there. And, and that's what I hear you. That's really what I hear you saying. Kind of you're investing in that, in that perspective uh, because there's a long view uh, in place. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, we can get into a, a bit of a, we can fall into a trap, right. Where, you know, we are, <laughs> kind of beating our kids into submission. Like we're trying to, to correct them into being more like Jesus, right? Like it's correction, not punishment, but really we're punishing our kids <laughs> into being more like Jesus. Right. And, and, and I think that we've really like, listen, parenting is parenting. Um, and regardless of religion, regardless of history, regardless of heritage, like we, we're trying to get our kids to be good human beings, right? That doesn't change for anybody. And so, so I think that there's naturally kind of correction and punishment and there's groundings and timeouts and there's all these things that go into parenting. When it comes to being like Jesus, like if my kids get out of line with what Jesus was acting like, like welcome to the world that is every other human being that's ever been created, like Amen. other than yeah. the Christ himself. And yep. so why am I, why am I going to beat my kid's spirit in order to make him be more like Jesus? So for us, you know, like, you know, just, just the other day, um, you know, my oldest son, um, was, was treating his little sister in not the, the most kind way. Right. And it got, a, it got a little too far out of line. He had himself a bit of time where he had to give up something he really wanted and spend time with his lonesome, which because my son is like me, he absolutely hates being by himself. <laughs> but at the end of that, like he came to me and he just, he apologized for what he did. And I just asked him, I said, you know, I guess my, my question is like, you just, you just learned about how Jesus like did so much. He gave up everything, including his own life for someone else. And so here's my question. Do you think Jesus would have treated your sister the, the same way that you just did? And he was like, no. Okay, well, what do you think Jesus would have done? And of course, my son's eight, so he came up. Well, Jesus would have done. He would have died on the cross for her. Okay, he did. <laughs> right. I'm not asking you to do that, right? But, but, but I am saying, like, hey, listen, you've already been corrected for your behavior, but let's try and internalize, like, what does Jesus do with these opportunities where people aren't the nicest to him? Because that was a lot of his experience, mm -hmm. and so we try and follow up the correction with the view of Jesus, not to correct them to be more like Jesus. And, and really we've kind of had three, three components, right? Jesus over, you know, tradition. We try and teach responsible freedom over restriction. And then we, we really try and teach our kids to have a very expressive love and expressive meaning. Like if you say you love someone, you are somehow showing that love, not just saying, Oh, I love that person, but you, you treat them like garbage anyway. Okay, so Andy, uh, you've got your soundbite here for uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. That, that's perfect. That that I think that just so clearly that sums up. Yeah, communicates. Yeah, that's yeah. that is that's just a it's that's an approachable and yet deep uh, understanding of parenthood. Uh, Bob, congratulations! I think you have just set our kind of our goal and our standard right here for <laughs> uh, for concise like. Again, because Andy and I have this thing that we're always screwing our kids up. We're trying so hard. We just like we just want to show them Jesus and not and and what you've just said here, I think, is just incredibly helpful. Um, and uh, thank you. It, it's a 
it's a way for us as parents to check in, right. About our motivations and our, uh, like what's actually ticking in the background of how we're interacting with our kids. And, uh, I, I can say for myself at the worst of times, uh, what is motivating my parenting really, if I'm in a real bad place is either other parents perception of me as a parent, or uh, just my own annoyance and anger that my kids are messing up with messing up my life. Like they're, they're messing up what I want to do or, or how I want to go about things. And so uh, to recenter it on the, on those things, um, Jesus over tradition, freedom over restriction and teaching. Uh, they want an, ex- you want an expressive love, man. Oh, mm, preach, preach. <laughs> uh Andy, you got it. Yeah. What, you, yeah, so, you're, up, you're up next. So, so I'm assuming with this job change, and especially since you're reaching out to people in New England uh, for your job, that you're on the road a lot. Talk to me a little bit about that and what does that mean to be a dad on the road? How do, how do you deal with that? How do you do that as a parent? Yeah. Yeah. The, the biggest change that, that we really had to go through uh, beyond like, you know, our the, the complete unification of every life that we had as a family you know, then being kind of um, lovingly and righteously compartmentalized uh, is the fact that I'm traveling. I mean, two the, the the job says two weeks out of a month I'm on the road. Okay. And uh, and that's a little misleading. I usually like leave on a Tuesday morning before the sun comes up, and I come home on a Friday morning. Um, you know, right when the sun's coming up, and and I get to work from home on that Friday. So uh, it's really like three days uh, that I'm uh, kind of officially on the road, but uh, that's a drastic change considering in, in the 10 years since Heather and I have known each other, uh, I've, I've only been gone for a conference, you know, like four or five days at once, let alone doing so every month, you know, stacked on top of one another. And so, um, you know, for, for us, we knew it was coming. We knew it was kind of a trade-off. We knew that someday we'd love to be in a position where I wasn't traveling so much, but we also knew that we wanted to be uh, intentional because there are a lot of dynamics to one spouse, one parent being on the road. Um, You know, one is you have one spouse who is a single parent for Mm -hmm. multiple days of a week of a month. Um, Another thing is um, you've, you've got for those days, kind of that imbalance of communication. Um, A lot of our parenting styles are dictated by the fact that we're both around, right? Like, uh, you know, I, mean, I grew up in a home where it's like you wait till your dad gets home, right? We can't exactly <laughs> right. say wait till your dad gets home when it's Friday morning, you know? And so um, we just wanted to make sure that there was a way that my kids, who there's no way they could really understand why I was leaving fully, mm-hmm. um, that they could join me on the road. And so um, that entails a lot of um, like short videos that, that I just kind of uh, take of myself and um, – whether it's just a video that I record and send to my wife, whether it's, uh, you know, there are, you know, several apps that, that you can use where you're essentially, you know, kind of recording uh, yourself. And, and so when it's you get through security, you pop out the phone and, and you say good morning to everybody who's just now getting up or you get on the airplane and you, you know, pop a video about how little leg room you have <laughs> as, as a big guy. Um, you know, I made a decision really early on that I wanted, you know, my wife and kids to see every corner of, of my hotel room, right? If I got upgraded, if I didn't, it didn't matter. I wanted them to see it. And it's gotten to the point where 
Um, I've gotten upgraded when I'm on work trips so much that when, when I actually have to pay for a hotel room and I don't buy that big suite, <laughs> my kids complain that my hotel room isn't big <laughs> enough when we're traveling together. Um, and, and it's about, you know, really regular communication, you know, whether it's, um, you know, you know, if, if the kids are getting ready to go to bed early, it's swallowing my pride and not asking my wife to keep them up so I can talk to mm. them. Right. Because of the rhythm that's working for her and for them. Uh, but that's also trying to make sure that I don't have many meetings that blow through that, you know, bedtime. Mm-hmm. So I can, even if I'm in the back of an Uber, you know, call them to talk to them. Um, it's making sure that, you know, when I'm going in between meetings, I'm checking in with my wife to see if there have been any problems that I can address with my kids or her. Mm. Because for us, I don't know if you're anything like this, from like four to six are kind of like those daytime witching hours where like the, the studs of this home have barely survived some of those hours. <laughs> and so, and so if, if I can be available and call home and, and, you know, talk to my oldest or talk to my daughter, talk to my youngest and just get them distracted from whatever is causing, you know, that environment to maybe calm things down a little bit. You know, I want to pull my weight as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also, it's also the recognition that, I can only do so much when I'm gone so that when I get home, like I, I want to be, I want to be a draft horse. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I really want to get stuff done. And that's been part of the reason why, you know, I work from home on Friday mornings when I travel. Um, I still have work to get done. I have reports that I have to file, but if I can do that while making sure dishes and laundry and, and overall like oversight of whom, whatever kids are still at home can be done. Um, it's just a way, not that I can make up for the fact that I was gone, but I can make sure my wife knows that she's appreciated. My kids know that there's as much a priority as they could possibly be. So it's been really different. And, uh, but it's been, I think overall positive, uh, to the point where the kids cry, you know, every, every night before I leave, which is, uh, just heart wrenching Mm -hmm. and heartbreaking. Um, but at the same time, when I call them on that first night that I'm gone, they're excited to tell me about their day. They want to hear about my day. And uh, they just they just know I'm doing great things for Notre Dame. I don't think they really understand exactly what I'm doing yet, but they, they're pretty happy with it. Awesome. Yeah, I know that's one of those things that like when I've, I don't travel much for my job, um, but when I do, it's always so hard. And I, I like you, I'm trying to be attention, intentional about that as far as like calling them. And like, that's one of the things that I look forward to when I'm gone, like, getting any time that I get to, you know, FaceTime with them or, or chat with them. I like the way that you, that you talk with your wife a little bit first, you text with her, say, Hey, is there anything going on that I need to address? That way you can kind of also not just talk to them as a friend, but talk, do, do your dad thing and, and discipline and whatever you need to do while you're, you're checking in with them also every day. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that, I mean, it's great that, that our oldest child, it, you know, uh, is, is my son, you know what I mean? Like, not that it would be any different if it was my daughter, but, but I, I don't know. There are some conversations that like, I feel like my dad had with me similarly where, you know, my, my seven-year-old son, if, if he's the one, because he's, he's the leader, right? Everybody kind of follows in step with him. If he's having a bad day, <laughs> everybody's having a bad day. And so if, if I find out that things are kind of going sideways and sour and I get him on the phone, like I'm able to kind of make sure he snapped back to reality and then just kind of leave him with that. Like, Hey, just remember, like, I'm, I'm trusting you to be, to be mommy's biggest helper, right? Everybody has a job. Everybody has a responsibility, 
but I need you to be my eyes. If you see that, that mommy's getting stressed, if you see that, you know, your brother is acting crazy, if, if you see something like it's okay to be the big brother and, and to be the biggest helper in, in the house tonight. And so, you know, I think that as he gets a little older and as all my kids get older, right, they'll see, they'll have a little bit more of that responsibility. Um, but I'm, I'm really thankful that he's at least, and he's seven going on eight. Um, and really the past like six, eight months, we've been able to have some of those conversations, which have kind of really transformed just our relationship as, as father and son. Mm. Well, Bob, we, uh, we would also be remiss if, uh, cause you, you mentioned in your intro story, um, the fact that you lost your dad, uh, as a young 20 something. Yes. And, um, that's, uh, that's one of those things where, you know, I, I think about my, my father lost, lost his dad in his, I mean, it would have been, yeah, he would have been in his earlier twenties as well. And it's one of those things where life new chapters are just beginning for you at a time when it's, it feels like you really need your dad in a different kind of way, actually in that, in that season of life. And then to go through a loss at that period um, is pretty significant. So what, how did you get through it? What was it like? What did you learn? What, what parts of, how your dad raised you, are you, are you bringing with you and where are you maybe uh, pioneering some new, some new dad uh, tactics and, and trails and, and things like that? Yeah. You know, you'd mentioned, you know, like the that young twenties kind of being a, a transition point. Um, I always talk with to parents, like specifically dads, you've got like those three, three primary relationships with your kids, right? You've got uh, the coaching relationship, which is like, I mean, they don't, they don't have a choice but to play for your team, right? So, so they, you see them every day and, 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 and they're signed up and you're trying to help change behavior. But then at some point, you know, you go from the do what I say, not what I do, and they do so without asking questions to the point where, like, you are trying to pull them from walking behind you to maybe more alongside you, right? And so you're going from coach to counselor and you're – walking through some of those middle school and high school, you know, problems that, that, you know, we help students with all the time, but that, that moms and dads are really uh, the best equipped uh, to answer, um, you know, with the right buy-in. And so you got those kind of high school years and then, you know, it can be right after or in the middle of high school, depending on kind of, you know, educational choices. But I think our society pushes the next transition into mid to late twenties where you go from, counselor to consultant where, you know, you are just living life alongside your child or separate from your child. And then you just answer the phone whenever they call. Um, my dad was, was, um, really good at being a counselor. Um, wasn't always the best coach. And by not being the best coach, I mean, like he didn't necessarily know how to be a dad to a young kid. Right. So he, he wanted my mom to kind of run that show and then whenever the kids got to like middle and high school where they could articulate our problems then he would like swoop in and uh was really good at being a counselor but he was designed to be a consultant um you know my my dad was and i've had some great guys in my life but my dad was my best friend and i i don't think i really realized how much so until you know these past several years um 
but there were just moments that I wanted my dad to, to be, you know, in my life and, and experience what I was experiencing. I'll never forget. I can, you know, if we ever have an opportunity to walk through Notre Dame's campus and we walk through what's called God quad, it's the, the, the patch of lawn that's right in front of the golden dome. Um, I will point a tree out to you and I want you to know I'll, I'll have been thinking about it for like 20 steps. So I won't know what you're talking about, but I'll point out a tree to you and I'll say, that's the tree. And I'll probably pause because I am a little embarrassed of, of what I am about to admit, but like, that's the tree where I saw the Eagle pluck the squirrel and fly off. Yes. <laughs> right now, now there's a lot of reasons to remember stuff like that. Right. But it was just, just a typical, you know, like red Hawk and, and gray squirrel, like plucked it and flew off. But I'll never forget that tree. Um, because it was, um, spring of 2007, uh, within a year of having lost my dad. And I, I picked up my phone and I speed dialed him. And it wasn't until I heard his voicemail that I realized he wasn't with us anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it was at a really pivotal time for me when my dad was supposed to be the best at what he was designed to do that, that we lost him. And, um, you know, it, it changed a lot for me. I would say him, um, passing away is, is what kind of shook me to not pursue the security of playing, you know, professional football for a lot of money and to kind of go live dangerously. Um, on, on his deathbed, I received like an Old Testament father's blessing. Now, my dad knew Jesus three weeks and one day before he died. Oh, okay? wow. Like, oh. That, like he did not know Jesus. I, I, it was before my fifth year. We were, you know, a month away from opening at Georgia Tech. And I went to my pastor and I said, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm about to go talk to my head football coach and tell him that I'm going to talk to my dad. And so I literally told my head football coach, my dad doesn't know Jesus and, and I'm going to go tell him about Jesus and I'm not going to stop telling him about Jesus until he accepts Jesus. <laughs> and if he doesn't do that, then you might need to find another right guard. And so that was, that didn't go over extremely well, but, but I was told that I had like five days, right? That was it. That's you have five days to lead your dad to Jesus. That's it. And so my, my dad accepted Jesus on August 2nd. Uh, actually, so it wasn't three to, three weeks in a day. It was a day short of three weeks. So on August twenty, on August second of two thousand six, he accepted Jesus. August twenty second uh, is when he passed away, and um, you know, three days after he accepted Jesus, he just told me, you know, he I had his blessing to do whatever, and this is the guy who wanted me to go play in the NFL beyond all things. Um, but I really, my, my hope is that I kind of honor my dad's memory um, in a lot of ways, but I also don't want to honor my dad's method <laughs> of parenting. <laughs> if that, if that makes sense, sure. you know, I've, um, I've lived my life on a, on a relatively straight and, and narrow path morally. And I think some of that is um, because of uh, good ways that I was raised and things were instilled in me. Some of it was just the fear of what would happen if I did something bad. I think you're more inclined to do bad things. If you think in the back of your head, you can outrun the police and I've never been much of a runner. <laughs> um, but, but my, my dad um, basically taught me by telling me all the dumb stuff he did and then said, now that you've heard about my experience, you don't need to do it yourself. Right. And so um, 
as if my decision to, to not use drugs had anything to do with, you know, him sleeping through his final sophomore year in college, right? Like he literally poured out every bad decision he'd made and then said, now don't go and do this. And, and uh, I hope that if, when it's all said and done, my children have the same love and affinity and desire to call me when an eagle plucks a squirrel off of the tree as, as I did with my dad. But at the same time, um, I have a, a, a vastly different view of what parenting and what spiritually guiding and, and raising my kids is than, than my dad was blessed with in his time. And so, um, you know, I, I feel really fortunate to have, have been the, the branch of my family tree that introduced Jesus into the lineage. And so now, like, I want to have the same loving legacy that my dad did, but I also, like, how do I do that um, with Jesus infused to everything I do where my dad didn't have that luxury? Mm. Good. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, yeah, Bob, I just, uh, man, just to encourage you, I, uh, I really see you putting into practice here. Uh, I, I, I just, I sense that passion from you and I see how you're, how you're living it out. And, uh, well, I know your dad would be proud of you for sure. So thank you. Thank and you. I, and I think, uh, all of us just want to make our dad proud. Right. I mean, I, think, I just like <laughs> there, there, there's nothing. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think of, I don't, I think one of the strongest things I mean that I have ever that I've ever heard is when when my father's told me that he's proud of me. Like I, gosh, I don't. And it's you know it's not. By the way, dads, it's not hard to say it. It's hard to say it, but boy, will it boy will it, it leaves a lasting memory. Boy, oh boy, does it. Um, what? So, uh, if, if you don't mind me asking, Bob, so you you I mean, did your dad know that he was? he was di- like he was dying like that his his health he was in failing health i i i, I gather from what you've kind of shared yeah so it was uh, mid to late july i mean it was five weeks we knew he knew for five weeks that he was in final stages um that the stages went shorter so we found out mid to late july in 06 that that he had um stage four stomach cancer um they'd given him you know like six to nine months and an opportunity to fight it Um, but then, um, so it was after the diagnosis, I scheduled my trip home two weeks later, I was home and then I, I left. And then three weeks after that, um, it it was a, a surprise in the timeline, but not a surprise that he was kind of at that stage. It was just a lot quicker than we were ready for. So yeah, he was confronted with his own mortality, um, before, and he's just a, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's a guy that was really skeptical of the church. You know what I mean? Like every time I ever brought him to church, I felt like they were doing like a special offering for something. Of course. Of and so course. my dad always thought like, you know, but my dad was always the guy who like, if the offering came around before the message, he wouldn't put anything in, but then he would go give the pastor a 20 when he was done. Right. Like he thought it was payment for services rendered, but like that's, I mean, he just, he didn't see the same, the same good in, in what the church was providing because he didn't, he didn't understand the encouragement that it provided to believers. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he was just like, well, no matter what happens in life, I'll just pull myself up by my bootstraps and move on. 
And uh, when, when he realized he came to a point where, I mean, there were no more bootstraps to pull up. Like there's, you know, I think he felt like his mind was still really, really sharp. His zest for life was still, you know, really, really strong, but his body was failing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made him realize, Oh, like my last breath here is not the end. Like mm-hmm. this, this, this numbers equation is not making sense to my brain. And, and he wanted to look into eternity. And um, I had a gift that my, my pastor at the time had given me. It's a little book by Andy Stanley called how good is good enough. And uh, my dad and I read that together at a, at a dinner table. And, and then we, we, we were able to talk before I had to go and get back to football. Amazing. Well, I, man, if, if you, and so, I mean, again, so many of us, we don't know when our parents, uh, some of us have a sense of when our parents are going to leave and some of us don't. And uh, to be able, man, what a gift to be able to have good moments, good, meaningful conversation um, toward the end. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a pretty, well, I'm, I'm just grateful you had the opportunity. I really am. That's, I am too. Uh, am. And, and, and you know what, just to, to, I know we're getting a little close on time, but to, um, to echo what you guys were saying, like, I'm really thankful selfishly uh, that I had those conversations with my dad. But like, when I think of my life as a father, like, I mean, in June of 2006, he still thought he had a long life to live. Like, you know what I mean? Like he still thought he could Mm -hmm. see, you know, my professional career, my marriage, my kids, like that. He thought he was going to see all that. And then he didn't like within a couple of months. And so, you know, as dads, um, I'm really thankful that my dad for his sake was able to sit there on, you know, in his bed that one night and tell me like, whether you go into finance, whether you go into the NFL whether you go and, and preach the gospel on a street corner, like whatever you do, you're going to be successful and you have my blessing to go do like for his sake. Like he took that opportunity, like you guys said to say, I'm proud of the man that you have become. And um, I think that we, we do what we can to not take for granted, like how often we say, I love you to our kids. But I, I do think it's really important that we build a, a habit of truth telling of the, overwhelming pride we have when our kids do anything, you know, whether it's building a paper, you know, sculpture that basically looks like a wad of paper <laughs> that my, my son just the other day says, I made a rock. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself like, okay, <laughs> congratulations. But, but at the same time, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm so proud and so excited to see how, how your brain is putting that together. I just think that, Pride is usually reserved for when we're talking about our kids. And I think that we need to make sure that pride is also reserved for when we're talking to our kids, because um, you guys said like those conversations will always, always, always pay dividends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if we ever get to a point where we forget to say we're proud of them, there's an overwhelming fear that our kids might be left with that they haven't lived up to some standard that, that is in our minds. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for coming out tonight. This has been an amazing, amazing talk. Well, I can't say coming out because you didn't actually come to our studio because we're all not allowed to move anywhere. But uh, thanks for thanks joining us virtually tonight. In. Yeah. <laughs> Obeying local authorities. Uh, thank you for all of that, Bob. Well, Bob, we can't let any guest absolutely uh, not off the hook without. Now it's time for the dudes and dads pop quiz. 
All right. So here you get to join us on this pop quiz. So I will ask the first question. If you're going to, what is your favorite uh, fast food place to eat? Oh, is that the real question? That's not yeah. an example. No, no, no. no this is the real, the real, real question. Real question. Yeah. So I mean, it, so I'm a, I've got that Texas in me. It's got to be Whataburger. Okay, uh, that's a good Ooh, place. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob, it, here's the thing. Um, this question I'm going to ask. I, I don't know if this puts your job in peril, but if you could have gone to any other university, not that anybody would want to, but if you could have gone to any other university besides. Our, our beloved Notre Dame, where, where would you have gone? Yeah. So uh, this is easy for me. Um, if I could have gone anywhere else, I would have taken the national championship at Texas. That's where I would have gone. Oh, I, I cannot blame you for answering that one bit. Yeah, right. There you go. What's the, uh, what did you do on your date with your wife on the first date with your wife? Um, man. So the first date, <laughs> the first date we went and like <laughs> the first day we went and parked by, it wasn't even really a date. The first time we hung out, it, we, we drove to just kind of a, a river overlook, like at dusk while it was getting dark. And uh, we don't like to talk about that as our first date because um, I got insanely sick sitting there, <laughs> sitting there in this park and, uh, and could not. Yeah. We, we, we talk about that as date zero. Because after that we went to we went to um, Outback and had a great dinner like a week later. <laughs> it's like a practice date. You had a practice date before the real first. So one. you get all you get all the weird awkwardness. You really get it out of the way right to begin. Like if if you, you, you what I appreciate you your lowest point. Yeah. What I appreciate about you is you think that me getting sick on date one is all my awkwardness. <laughs> Thank you for that. Beautiful, uh, Bob. Favorite ice cream flavor? You know, I'm just gonna go. Favorite ice cream is Neapolitan. So, so I need to have a little bit of strawberry with the chocolate and then get me some vanilla just because, you know, it, it's the most, nice it's, that's the most non-committal ice cream, uh, <laughs> but way to go. You got three for one on that. So congratulations. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. And oh man, you threw me off on that one. Oh, I had one in my head and I can't remember it. <laughs> um, let's go with your favorite band, man. Uh, <laughs> so I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Like I, it's hard for me that I don't have any bands that like I loved in high school that are still like rocking out now. <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to make my kids happy. I'm going to make my wife happy and I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable and tell you Ooh. that my favorite band right now is the Jonas brothers. Oh, oh, oh. Judge me not. Judge me not. No no judgment here. No judgment here. Speechless. Speechless. There Um, is no better reconciliation story than Nick, (laughs) Joe, and Kevin getting back together. Wow. Wow. The prodigal brothers. Let's go. You know what? You, you, you do make a good point. I can't, I can't deny that. Uh, man. Uh, so you do spend a fair amount of time out in the, uh, the, the area of New England. Um, are you, who, like who of all the New England states, who do you feel like what New England accent? Cause they're a little bit different. What New England accent do you like best? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, it's Boston through and through, mm-hmm. right? Like it really, like, it's just, it's one of those things that um, 
there's no other accent that you can like really hone in to a city. You know, New York, it, it's kind of a conglomeration of different sides of New York, but it's also like, you know, is it New York? Is it New Jersey? Could it be Connecticut? I don't know, right? <laughs> not talking about parking the car, you know, and you and smart pack. Yes, yeah, smart pack. Could be in a smarty pants. Like when when you drop the R's in Harvard Yad, yeah. you know you're talking about Boston. And That's so good. so there is forget state. It's Boston, Massachusetts, best accent in the world. All right. My last question is what was your first vehicle? So I had, uh, so I started driving, would have been, what, two, I'm trying to think, would have been 2000-ish, that's when I was 16, right, so 2000, and I had a 1987 black and gray Nissan Pathfinder named Gordon. Ooh, <laughs> named Gordon. Absolutely named Gordon. And and that thing that burnt out a clutch like every six months, but but I loved him dearly. I did. Gordon, it's such a sensible name too. It's it, it Gordon sounds more reliable than a clutch out every six months. That's what's the interesting <laughs> you would, real you irony. Would think, but you know, in high school, you know what I mean? When you've got a, a standard, you know, shifter, you think you can beat anybody off the line, but when you burn out a clutch, like <laughs> you rev and all of a sudden you like you don't move. And so I uh I lost my share of races off the off the green light with uh, with Gordon there in the the town of McKinney, Texas. Oh boy! Well, we're gonna. I want to end on a good football question. Uh, your favorite guard of all time? My favorite guard of all time. So uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give you two because I'm I'm a little noncommittal. But there's an old and a, and a new. Right? Fair. Okay. So of all time currently is Larry Allen for the Dallas Cowboys back in the day. Like I think he's hands down the best lineman to ever play the game. However, there is one lineman, no bias. I swear to heavens, no bias. There is one lineman that I believe if, if he plays 10 years, will go down as the best interior lineman of all time. And that's Quentin Nelson. Okay. Well, you, uh, I, I, we're going to go back to this when that happens. We're going to go back. This is, this is like on the internet forever. And so uh, you might become like the real, the real soothsayer of, uh, of his future career. I, I owe it to him. Uh, so I actually, I was on a podcast like a year and a half ago with Eric Hansen in, of the South Bend Tribune. Um, and uh, before that podcast, I had um, talked to him about conversations he and I had had over years. And he reminded me that when Quentin Nelson was a sophomore, uh, I had texted Eric and said, who is this kid at left guard? I feel like he is not Notre Dame quality. And Eric oh, lovingly oh, corrected me oh, and said, oh. I think you just need to watch some game film. And it goes, he goes on to be the best lineman that we've <laughs> ever had, maybe the best lineman that the NFL is ever going to see. And so I have spent every public appearance since <laughs> yes, uh, when yes. given the opportunity, just yes. saying, I'm sorry. And, and I want to, cause you're a man, my, you're a man of integrity. That's, and humility. that's why I will take that size 15 that's, of my own foot. And there you go. <laughs> well, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> you have successfully navigated the dudes and dads pop quiz well and done, passed Bob. So. Well done. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh Bob, we're, Buddy, okay, just from the bottom of my heart, I am grateful for you. I appreciate you. You're a good dude, and you're a good dad, and uh, this has been an awesome conversation. And, uh, hey, when this quarantine thing is over, 
We're all uh, we're all gonna get together. The three of us. To, we're gonna get together around a bonfire. We're gonna we're gonna I, sing songs. It's gonna be very epic. Whatever well, whatever it listen, is. You know you know I, I mentioned it to you yesterday. You know like I have the same heart just for the those mom and pop places that you do. And so yep. I you know you know Andy come join us. But Joel and I are meeting at the Electric Brew, and we're gonna go ahead and toss some dollars to some there of these go. local shops awesome. to make sure yeah, that we let them know how much we yep. appreciate. Absolutely. You bet. Okay. Well, guys, uh, so grateful that you all have turned, tuned in tonight. Uh, hope you are hanging in there. If we can do anything to uh, brighten your spirits or uh, just, uh, you know, uh, help confirm that the zombie apocalypse is not upon us, you just let us know. Uh, as always, you can give us uh, show ideas, responses over at uh, dudesanddadspodcast at gmail.com or dudesanddadspodcast.com podcast.com you can check out episodes show notes uh, leave we'll us five a- star reviews yeah five star reviews give it go all the way five go star. all the way don't 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 be selfish and uh we'll have uh, all of bob's important uh, social media details on our website as well so Absolutely. you can find him because he is worth finding let me tell you so until next time my friends grace, grace and, and peace, peace.